This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by the Focused Leader One Day Intensive to focus your leadership. Find out more at lead2.win slash focused leader. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt, and this is Lead to Win, the weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And in this episode, we're going to continue our conversation about productivity by the numbers, and we're going to be talking to our friend Ian Cron about the Enneagram and productivity. Now, Larry, we talked about this last week. What was kind of your takeaway? We covered some of those first numbers. What was kind of your big takeaway as we talked with Ian? My big takeaway was that everybody has a great superpower that they bring to the workplace. Yes. That impacts their ability to be productive, to get things done, great skills to leverage, but everybody has sort of a shadow side to that, Mm -hmm. uh, a corresponding weakness that really can hamstring your productivity. And for me, as Enneagram One, that's a procrastination, perfectionism, which is this two-edged sword. So yeah, that was my takeaway. Yeah, and I think the beauty of it was that uh, it gave us insight to make us more self-aware about what our natural Enneagram number gives us in terms of a natural advantage. But on the other hand, as you said, you know, sort of that shadow side of the challenge that we have to face if we're going to be productive. So we weren't too long into the conversation with Ian before we realized, hey, this is more than one episode. We've got to do two episodes if we're going to do justice to this. So if you have not listened to the first episode, you are definitely going to want to do that because we covered the first four Enneagram numbers of that episode. So if you're an Enneagram type one, two, three, or four, or even if you're not, or if you manage people that are one of those, you want to go back and hear that episode because this is a continuation of the first episode. So welcome back, Ian. Let's dive in. Well, let's move to type five, which is the investigator. These are amazing people. You know, uh, the the superpower of the of the five is observation. No one has the power of obs- the observation and the analytical powers. Extraordinary, extraordinary. Where fives need to work on, and what they need to work on in terms of productivity is they can tend to use up all their energy in the research stage. Because remember, these are information junkies, right? Mm-hmm. God forbid you, you allow a five to go down the wormhole of the internet for too long because they'll be in there just sucking up. I mean, I call them information hoovers. They just <laughs> go down there and they're... <laughs> you know, gathering information, oftentimes on subjects unrelated to what needs to actually happen. You know, they'll come back and they'll, they'll, they'll say, you know, I just learned all, you know, it's, oh my gosh, right? They, now, they don't want to get stuck in research. The other thing that can, can hurt productivity uh, for a, a five, they, they need to titrate or they need to take care of their energy. You know, fives have fewer resources for relationships than other types. And, and here's a problem I see with fives is they tend to be people who withhold information. They're people who are give information on a need-to-know basis. Now, what does that do to a team? It slows it down because the team needs more information from the leader to tell them, uh, give them information that allows them to get work done. The team should not have to keep coming to the five saying, well, what are we doing about this? And what did you want on that? And you know what I'm saying? Like the five needs to be more generous with with all the knowledge they have um, so that the rest of the team can be productive. 
if you work for a five, you may be recognizing some of this. And it's not, I would say- And Lurie does. It's it's not done in any malicious sense. They're not hoarders of information as a way to exert power, but because it just doesn't seem necessary to them. Do you think that's because it doesn't occur to them that other people don't know this? Or they're just so lost in the pursuit of information, they don't think to communicate it back? Because I know, and we're talking about Joel, who is Larry's boss and my son-in-law, so I can say this. Joel's like the most widely read person I know. Amazing. Mm-hmm. He knows stuff about everything. You can rarely bring up a topic that he hasn't read pretty deeply on, you know? Yeah. And so and so some of the things he pursues and reads about, I'm just like, why? Because I'm a pragmatist, right? So I'm like, well, what's the utility of that? How are you going to ever use that? He didn't care. It just has, knowledge has value for its own sake. I'll tell you a story about a five that I know. <laughs> a different five? Or you don't want to reveal For the that? purpose of this conversation, yes. <laughs> Well, I have a friend who's a five, and we were sitting around chatting, and he was holding forth on uh, some arcane bit of medieval something, or or maybe it was music, and going very deep on sort of early blues artists or, or something like that. And uh, his teenage child walked in and listened to the conversation for about a minute and said, how long has he been like this? <laughs> <laughs> oh man that because is... there's just you scratch the surface and there is so much information so much knowledge there that it'll it'll pour out but but that's a that's a place where i think maybe the behavior can be unproductive because they're they're doing research for research sake and in, within the context of an organization that's not always productive it's not always useful right it's it, it can be sideways energy Fake work. They can become easily distracted. Yes. Uh, frivolous at times in their information gathering. Disconnected emotionally from from others. And again, I think on a team, what, we're, what I'm also alluding to here isn't just productivity for them, but, but how it affects other people and the productivity of a whole team. Mm-hmm. So um, the five has to learn to be disciplined to move out of research and get to work, right? And, and Joel uh, does that. I mean, he's one of the most productive people I know in terms of he is yes. creating content. Absolutely, right? yeah. Absolutely. No, he he delivers the goods, totally. right? And by the way, you know, again, here's a stereotype that they're walking around with, you know, you know, pocket protectors with pens and like a Texas old Texas instrument, you know, calculator on their belt. That's a stereotype. I'm telling you, I've met incredible five leaders, yeah, who have you know, gotten to a place in their life where they're not over-relying on those gifts. They have become more people who are more integrated, self-aware. And when they do that, the gift becomes a blessing versus uh, an unnecessary blight. Well, my real envy of of good, healthy fives is the amazing decision-making capability because they know so much and they, as you put it, Ian, they have their analytical powers are off the chart. So they can quickly make a decision that I would have to think about for, I don't know how long. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that just, that's similar to that, that I've noticed, and particularly in Joel, because I've known him for 20 years now, worked with him for 20 years, is that he has an ability to be dispassionate about decisions that even involve him. Yes. You know what I'm saying? He could be, he could be objective about his own role in a way that I struggle with, frankly. But uh, I saw him when we were both at Thomas Nelson together, actually step into a lesser role than he had because that's what he perceived the team needed. 
And he sort of analyzed the whole thing and said, this is the thing that makes sense and I'm willing to do it. And boy, did he, that really commanded the respect of everybody in the organization. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to type six, which we often call the loyalist. Yeah, man. Uh, we believe, by the way, uh, interestingly, that there are more sixes in the world than any other type. And fewer fours than any other type, which fours love to hear <laughs> because they're special and unique. Uh, and, and then second, the second type that we believe is dominant in the, in the culture are nines. So we have a lot of sixes and a lot of nines. Thank God is all I can say. Yeah, I thank God is right. I mean, they're, they're amazing because, because you deal with, with sixes. As their name implies, they're loyal, right? Uh, now, here's where they get in trouble with productivity. It's, it's fairly straight ahead, analysis paralysis. Sixes tend to be self-doubting and self-questioning and they have trouble making decisions, so they, they want to rely on authority figures or quote-unquote experts, and they'll just run around from expert to expert or authority to authority or uh, office mate, you know, or to office, you know, to colleague to colleague, asking, well, what do you think we should do about that? I'm not sure what I should do. And, what, and then, of course, worst-case scenario thinking comes in, which can fuel analysis paralysis it's like well what if this happens and what if that happens and what if this happens right and we oftentimes say that sixes have a cocktail party in their head you know like with full of people who are offering opinions and then they, they get lost in all these opinions and, and they're like oh boy and they get stuck on a fence right i oftentimes say that they suffer from pre-traumatic stress disorder <laughs> right and so they if you are always seeing you know disaster on the horizon that means that you're always questioning people to see if they're ready for it. Now, what does that mean? Every time they are in a meeting and a plan comes up or a project comes up, they see all the things that could go wrong and they're raising question after question and then that just slows everything down, just slows everything down. So hard for them to make decisions, which hurts productivity. And then, of course, uh, it slows productivity of the team down if they uh, are in analysis paralysis. But Michael, we've got sixes, quite few on our team. We don't suffer from that. Well, I think we've coached them some also. Like one of the ways that I've coached sixes is, look, we want your reservations. We want your critical eye, but we don't need it at the ideation stage. You know, that's, that's, you know, you just get the balloon blown up and then the six comes along and pops it, that deflates the team. And so I think if they can be coached a little bit to wait and do that later, because we want to hear it, they got to be assured that we're going to hear it, but let that come in later, then that, that keeps your organization moving forward and people from resenting them or mischaracterizing them as a negative influence or a negative personality. Do you see that, Ian? Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what makes a great six leader is they're very attuned to authority. The, the theme of authority and authority figures is a very big deal in the life of a six. Mm -hmm. they, they tend to be, they, they can vacillate between being a little bit too blindly loyal to an authority figure or distrustful mm -hmm. of, a, of an authority figure. And it kind of goes back and forth, sloshing around between those two, right? That For one that's not very self-aware. And because of that, when they're the leader, they're very concerned with, being uh, loyal 
and avoiding all the pitfalls that leaders can fall into in terms of pursuing personal gain. So it's fantastic when you have a, a very strong six leader. And of course, guess what? The world is full of unpredictability and possible pain. And, uh, you know, if all you got is three sevens and eights charging forward in an organization without some six that can tap the brakes and say, whoa, wait a minute, this could go wrong, then, you know, you, you have all manner of train wrecks that are possible. I, I would think that they may suffer from some of the same problem that a one does, and that is procrastination, but for a different reason. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, that they, yep. they don't want to get started because they're afraid they're going to make the wrong choice or pursue the wrong thing, or they haven't had enough expert opinion yet, whereas a one just wants to get it perfect. Yeah, if you want to hear a great, uh, really a great interview between a CEO who was a seven and one that's a six, on my podcast, Typology, there's I, I, I was consulting with a company called Booster, very successful, thousand employees, young seven CEO who hired and is his best friend, an older more experienced six mm. to be his uh, CFO. And I'm telling you, it is really the, uh, the, an exemplar of what you want to see in an organization where the, the seven knows I'm a seven. I need someone next to me who cares about what's what, meeting payroll. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm the dreamer. I'm the ideator. I'm the cheerleader. I'm the guy who runs through the hallways inspiring people. But if I don't have a six in the house- We're in trouble. We're in trouble. Yeah. Um, but as with every type, you know, we have, to, we have to cool our excesses and not become so over-reliant on our superpower that, that it becomes this liability in the organization. And so if the six over-relies on, on his or her ability to spot what could go wrong, slow down productivity. That's what it does. Mm -hmm. Well, let's move to number seven. Type seven on the Enneagram is the enthusiast. I think if you have a seven in your life, you do know it. Oh, yeah. The joy bomb. I love, love sevens. sevens. I was out at a, a thing last night. You know, if you become a teacher of the Enneagram and you've really studied it, after a while you can observe a person's mannerisms, speech style, communication style, their dress. Uh, you know, there's all different ways that you pick up on the, at the risk of sounding new agey, and I'm not, uh, the energy that the person's radiating. You can, after a while, begin to be fairly accurate. You know, I tend to do it cautiously, but I can, man, this young guy's out in this parking lot. He's, he's 30 years old. He's going in circles on a bike with a backpack on. He is so excited about life, and he's just, you know, just shining with with joy. I like to say sometimes that if the six suffers from paranoia when they're unhealthy, right? Worry about what could go wrong. The seven suffers from pronoia, which is the delusional belief that the world is conspiring for their happiness. <laughs> yes. I love that delusion. Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. it's just pronoia. And you know, who doesn't find that when winning and charming? Of course, it it has its downsides, right? When it's all in service to avoiding difficult feelings and wanting to escape difficult feelings. Now, here's where they get into trouble with productivity. Uh, number one is they're easily distracted. They, they go from one idea to the next. They're idea generators. And so 
and they'll go from one thing to the next without finishing. Yes. They have a hard time finishing. They're not good closers. And oftentimes on the verge of success, they'll slow things down because they're afraid that when it closes and everything has gone great, that someone's going to ask them to do it again. <laughs> and the last thing a seven wants to do is something in like that becomes routine. So I, I tell people, make sure with sevens that you have a wide-ranging job description. You're giving them lots of space, that the job has lots of different pieces to it. And uh, so they don't become bored, which is pretty easy. Uh, and then just, they've got to develop what we call in the Enneagram world sobriety, which has nothing to do with abstinence from chemical or you know substances or, or alcohol. But really, sobriety means focus, get it done, focus. So someone who's leading a seven has to keep, you know, you know, I tell them it's like, you know, it's like when you have a puppy on a leash, you know, you got to go heel, heel, you know, keep going, heel, you know, because their attention is going to, you know, all, all the stuff that all the possibilities around them. They have to be reined in periodically. They have to be reined in and just, you know, held to, you know, get it, getting it all done. But, you know, like anything else in, in life, we want to... We want to just make sure that in terms of productivity, that um, the gifts that we bring, which are considerable with sevens and every other type, don't so intoxicate us, so uh, because it's our natural zone. Mm -hmm. and, and so for the seven, it's like, guess what? You're going to have to expend more calories to be a finisher. It's not your nature. Hey, as a three, you're going to have to do things that require that you expend more calories. Like I got to expend more calories listening to the feelings of others mm -hmm. and caring for other people and, and keeping my feelings online. You, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's yeah, sure, it expends calories. Well, welcome to life. You, you don't get to be in your sweet zone all the time. And uh, it's part of the growth thing for us. But, but don't you think that with the seven, and, and one of the ways I've coached him in the past, is to pair themselves with somebody that is a finisher. In yes. other words, if they're the ideator, mm -hmm. they can pair themselves with somebody who's an implementer. Yes. Who can, you know, take the idea, flesh it out, do the more tedious parts of the job so that it gets finished. And I can think of really one of my best friends who's a seven and really struggled with that for a number of years until he got paired with the right person. And now they are tearing up the world. Yeah. Because he can kind of stay more in his sweet zone. I'm not saying he didn't have to finish things, right. but stay more in that 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 sweet zone of ideating yep. and have somebody else, you know, carry it into the end zone. Yeah, totally. And I, I would also say that, you know, sevens are such amazing ideators that they can just keep generating idea and idea and idea and idea. And, and that also can become a problem with execution. Also, it can confuse their team because the team doesn't know what the seven act. So for example, for a six and for other types, they hear all that at the table and they're like, are we supposed to execute on all that? Right. And the, so the seven has to say, okay, I just gave you 40 ideas. Here are the two I want you to execute on right. so that you can be productive. Yeah. And that's where it takes real self-awareness. All these numbers take self-awareness, but particularly for the seven. Yeah. I worked with a seven very closely for a while. And, um, Here's a tip for a seven and a one who work together, that when the seven throws out all these ideas, the one should understand, they don't expect them to be done now. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, if no. ever. If yes. ever. <laughs> because they're going to come in tomorrow with 40 new ideas. And so you, yeah. the, the, what the seven needs to hear from the one and other types is, okay, Bob or Jane, which of those do you want us to execute on? Which of those is the plan? 
And which of those are you processing aloud or just being enthusiastic about aloud? Mm-hmm. That's fine. We're all in favor of that. We, we, we love that your enthusiasm and your ideas. We just need clarity as to which of those you want That's us right. to execute on. Hey, everyone. Mike Boyer here. In case you missed last week's podcast, be sure to check out part one of this two-part series on productivity by Enneagram type. You can find it at lead2.win. And if you haven't grabbed your copy already, get your free copy of our quick reference guide to this subject. It's called Productivity Tips by Enneagram Type. And you can download it right now in today's show notes at lead2.win. It's loaded with tips for understanding your unique productivity challenge and the solution. You'll want to forward a copy to everyone you know, especially coworkers. Everyone will appreciate learning more about how their unique personality affects their productivity. That's Productivity Tips by Enneagram Type, and you can download it free at lead2.win. Thanks for sharing. And now, back to the show. Let's move to the eight, type eight on the Enneagram, uh, which is often called the challenger, sometimes called the protector. Yeah, Uh, or the defender is another lovely word for the eight. Uh, the challengers. The challenger has more energy than any other type on the Enneagram. And sometimes I'll tell people, threes get more done than any other number, but eights have far more energy than any other number. And they'll get a ton done. Um, and they'll sleep on the floor to get things done uh, because of all that energy. What eights have to be careful for in terms of productivity is sometimes they act before they think. And of course, you know, that can end up leading to making big decisions. And eights are big decision makers. They make big decisions and they make them oftentimes very, very quickly. You know, uh, they just have to be careful that they don't make uh, impulsive decisions. Uh, and that, because as you know, that leads to a lack of productivity if, you know, people are cleaning up the mess, mm-hmm. you know, of a big decision that wasn't well considered. Eights can burn themselves out. Uh, I've seen eights work so hard that um, they are out of touch. I mean, eights tend to forget they're not invincible, physically, emotionally invincible. Like, does it occur to them? It does not occur to them. No self-awareness about that. No, not. I mean, they can they can gain it usually after they've you know oftentimes hit a wall, <laughs> hit a hit a physical wall, hit an emotional wall. Uh, they just don't see it coming because they just think they can. Do anything, you know. Maybe they're a little bit like the the Black Knight in uh, Monty Python. You know, they cut off a leg. It's like ah, I can, you know, they just keep going. You cut off an arm, they keep going. You know, until they're like got no arms or legs, and they're like, no, nah, I can still beat you. You know, it's, you know, that, that can create uh, all, all kinds of of problems for them. Uh, what eights really need a lot of the time is someone in their life who can say no. Mm-hmm. Everybody, all of us need someone who can get up in our grill and say no. Is it okay to match them with the same energy? Do they like that and respect it? You need to. Yeah. Particularly eights that aren't very self-aware. They don't pick up on subtle. They don't pick up on subtle. They're black and white thinkers. And they uh, tend to be put off by people who exhibit weakness. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and they, they can just dismiss them. It's like you're invisible. So yeah, you, you do want to bring a lot of energy to the table. You don't want to allow an eight to steamroll you. Um, and the way to avoid that is to try and match, not escalate, but match their energy. Oftentimes what feels like anger to other people is just passion. It's just intensity. Mm-hmm. And that's why the eight often is like, I'm not angry. 
And everyone else is like, yeah, you're intimidating the crud out of the rest of us. And the eight, you know, you see the eight just needs to go, oh, I, I was just kind of passionate. I was just worked up. And, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And everyone else being while hiding under their desk. And so, you know, but, you know, again, wow, what powerful leaders when they're self-aware. Mm-hmm. And, and they do, they, they are quite, quite productive because of all that energy. It just needs to be channeled. Yeah. You know, they just need to channel the energy and 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 not have it be diffuse, but but focused, right? And yes. Do you know the difference of what I'm saying? That yeah. like diffuse meaning it's just flowing in every direction. It just needs to get channeled correctly. Mm-hmm. You know, and they do need someone who can come alongside them and put the brakes on all that gusto and say, okay, well, um, how and to help them channel it. You know, it's it again, great gifts, but great liabilities if they don't. If they don't address them. Do, do you think that number has particular challenges with self-awareness? No, I don't think it has okay. less. Uh, no. Maybe I, just the ones I know. Uh, and I don't know that many, but I do know, know a few eights that, but ones that I've worked for that struggled with that. Yes. Again, you know, some types, I'd say three sevens and eights oftentimes. Mm-hmm. First of all, all three of those numbers, when, you, when they find out their numbers, really like their numbers. <laughs> and when they're young it's like well why why would i want to change it's working for me yeah i'm crushing it as a three i'm i'm flying up the ladder faster than anybody as a seven i'm charming everybody loves me uh i'm you know a great storyteller i bring a lot of juice to the table the eight's like i'm crushing it because everybody elects me leader in a second uh i have more energy than any other type so for those three types sometimes they have to hit a wall before they wake up. Yeah. Other types can Two wake up me. faster than those three. Because it's just, well, why why wake up? This is, who, who's got a problem? Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem yet. Well, eventually they can. Uh, a divorce comes along. A failure in business comes along. Uh, a, you know, whatever it is that, that can bring them down. Um, uh, exhaustion, a heart attack. You, you know where I'm going? And I don't want to sound so you know, negative, but every type when it's in a bad space is negative. Mm-hmm. And, but for those three types, sometimes the wake up call takes a little bit longer than it does for others. I would, I would say that any number that can, is a truth teller and has the, the courage and the assertive energy. So that might be a three, that might be, um, sevens don't like confrontations so much, although they can do it. Uh, but a three can can come alongside an eight. Another eight can that's older and more self aware. I think a one can. You know, ones can be a can be you know assertive. Um, someone who can come alongside them and make them aware of what's in the shadow, what's in their blind spot, you know, uh, and can help them mitigate, you know, some of the excesses of their type. I would say that where I've seen this is with, with fours who on any issue, as you said, with truth-telling or integrity, will not back down. I think you're talking about sixes. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Right. And, and so, you know, the eights are so strong in everything they say, at least the ones I've known. They, they don't have any humble opinions. Their, <laughs> their opinions are, are truth in their mind. But someone who has that passion for matters of integrity uh, or truth will stand right up to that, and where 
they might otherwise be even a little bit conflict shy. But oh, when you get you start talking about right and wrong or issues like that, right. they'll go toe to toe with anybody. Okay, so without going too far into the weeds of this, right? For each of the nine types, there are three subtypes. There's actually a number on the Enneagram. You're going to laugh when I tell you this. And so this is how you learn that the Enneagram is easy to learn, but it's hard to master. You don't need to be a master to get a lot out of it. But here I'm going to take you down to 2.0. There is one number on the Enneagram that is more aggressive and uh, can actually, could scare an eight. What do you think it is? Okay, don't say it. Um, what's the counter type, subtype called? Uh, counter type of which, of which number? Four. Uh, it's the one-on-one four, or sometimes called the sexual four. People don't like that term, but it's the one-on-one four. Absolutely correct. That number is intense. Yes. And when, especially when it's not in a great space, I'm telling you, if you were in, an eight would hide under the bed when a sexual four gets loose. <laughs> the sexual meaning not in the sexual sense of the word. It, that's actually just, that's what it's called. You'd have to go do some research on subtypes, but it's incredibly helpful. Another number that could definitely stand up is a, what's called a counterphobic six. That can be quite aggressive and oftentimes people it's can mistake. fuse with an mistake. eight. <laughs> so again, do you need to all go into that depth with the Enneagram? Now you don't. But it's really helpful if you if you want to apply this thing in deeper and deeper ways. Well, this brings us to the last number on the Enneagram scale, which is type nine. Yes. The peacemaker. Golly, these are amazing people. And you you're gonna want to have these people in your lives. Now, productivity is an issue for nines. Mm-hmm. And this is, so we could probably spend a long time on it, but for nines, easily distractible get caught up in inessential tasks. Um, they also, like sevens, can be, have difficulty finishing, but for a whole different reason. Mm-hmm. It has to do with distractibility, and they're, they have difficulty with prioritizing, like which task has to come first, which can drive other types crazy. They often, they lead by consensus, so that can slow things down because they're trying to make sure everybody, they're very wonderful in terms of inclusion. They're the most inclusive number on the Enneagram. But of course, that oftentimes can slow productivity down because you, you can't get everybody on board sometimes, right? Some people have to get on board whether they like it or not or hear about it at some other point, whatever. Um, n- you know, So nines are, are, are terrific leaders. I think some of our very best presidents have been nines, uh, partly because they are so good at seeing all the sides to different things. So they're great negotiators, which is in part why we call them the peacemakers. So I can't say enough good things about nines, but they get caught in inertia. Once they get going, they can spin on habit for years. But once they slow down or stop, it's hard to get them going again. Mm. So these are the things nines have to worry about. So I'm always telling nines, wonder list, you know, find an app that has a list app, a to-do list, because, or I, and I tell them, you actually need a to-finish list. Yeah. Not a to-do list, a to-finish list. I'm married to a nine, so yep. Gail is a nine. And one of the things that's really helped her, and not to um, plug one of our own products, but the Full Focus Planner. Yes. Which she was kind of resistant to it. But once she started identifying her daily big three, I've seen a dramatic change. She is getting so much done, and she's leading her small team. She has two people that work with her here at the house. And I see her in her staff meetings and she's like, okay, what are your daily big three for today? And she's really focused on that. So just having the right tool, it's a simple tool. It's not too complicated, 
but it's been very helpful for her. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, we all have to have someone in our life that can make up for our deficits, right? So with a nine, give someone permission to help you with prioritizing. Right. Right? No harm, no foul here. Like that part of humility and being a, a person who's productive is what are the obstacles to my being productive? Who is uniquely qualified to help me overcome mm-hmm. those, those obstacles? So a nine can be really helped by a three. You have to be careful there. Well, you have to be I, careful I, when you're married, when it's in your <laughs> marriage. <laughs> Less so at the office. I mean, you know, yeah. it, it, or with a friend. You, know, ask, you can ask friends to help. Right. You know, um, so I'm a four. And, you know, when, when I start to get lost in my feelings and, you know, in my imagination, which is pretty rich, and when I need a one to come along and say, it's time to get to work. It's time to execute on this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, but it's a one I need in some ways more than a, than a three. You know, I could go through each of these types and probably tell you which of them, what kind of type would really help them. To really get their game on, if they needed to find uh, a quote unquote, I hate this phrase in many ways, accountability partner, but somebody could come alongside them and help them with mm-hmm. their deficits. Can I give an example of it? Yeah, really fast. So I'm going to actually go against something I just said, and I've said this a million times. So, folks, if you've heard me on an interview before, you know, go go forward seven seconds. But so you said something to me once that was a game changer. As I was acting like a four, I was blaming other people for, you know, dropping balls. They weren't, you know, I was just disappointed. I was seeing what was missing, not what was present. I was stuck in my feelings and not being enough of a critical thinker. And you just came alongside me. It was before a dinner party one night, and I was just moaning and groaning in the kitchen while you were making drinks. And you said, you know, you blame people a lot for stuff in your life that maybe you participate in the problem. I mean, it was something to that effect. And it threw me back on my heels. And I, I remember we, I was walking home that night from your house with Annie, and I said, he's totally right. Wow. Totally I remember right. that conversation. But you never did it again. I've never heard you do it again. Yeah. I, think, I think you made some self-correction there that was profound. Well, this is what I'm saying. We need people in our lives that can tell us truths about the areas of our life that we just can't see. Mm-hmm. It's true for all of us. It's true for all of us. And so for every type, you know, to become the healthiest, best expression of our type and to become more productive and to become... Um, people who are really, because we're productive, making a significant difference in the world. We need people to come alongside of us, who understand us, and who can, with compassion and clarity, Mm -hmm. speak truth into our lives in a way that we hopefully can hear and use. Well, today we've learned that you're normal. (laughs) <laughs> but nine ways to of, be normal. Yeah, there are nine exactly ways right. to be normal. That's exactly right. But despite you being normal, you probably do have a challenge to your productivity. And we've explored that through the nine types of the Enneagram. Again, if you want to find out your type or learn more about it, two great resources are Ian Cron's book, The Road Back to You, and the IEQ9 Enneagram Assessment, and we'll have a link to both those great resources in the show notes today at lead2.win. 
Final thoughts today, Michael, Ian, on the Enneagram of productivity. I am such a believer in the Enneagram. I, I know and I'm familiar with so many other personality or strengths assessments think they're all fantastic. So I, I, don't, I don't have a down, a down thing to say about anything or a negative thing to say about any of them. I just think that the Enneagram is a, such a rich, broad, uh, and immediately accessible and applicable tool and uh, that you can continue uh, to use. It, it offers people a vernacular to talk about their interior world, a language to talk about how they can grow as human beings and become more productive by removing the obstacles, many of which we can't see without help, and the Enneagram can help reveal them. Because so much of productivity is about how do I overcome the hindrances uh, not just, you know, how do I employ new tools? It's like, how do I get, how do I get rid of stuff mm-hmm. that prevent me from being productive versus, you know, going out and buying the latest app and the next book? It's like, yeah, do that. But you also have to look at what do I got to throw overboard, right? That for right. throwing me off my game. Yeah. And I think the thing that I was thinking as you were talking is that if you kind of want to move beyond tips and techniques and strategies and apps and all the stuff that we think of when we think of productivity. And if you want to be truly productive, then I think you've got to delve a little bit into your own psychology and and be more aware of what's driving the behavior. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't do better. In fact, I would say the most important thing you could do if you want to take your productivity to the next level is buy Ian's book and read it. It'll create endless and productive conversations inside your family uh, inside your workplace, inside your church. But it's been a great tool for us. We've had Ian come in twice and speak to our team, and they're begging for him to come back. And so this has just been hugely helpful for us. And so, Ian, thank you for being with us. Are you kidding? This is, I, I look forward to coming over to Michael Hyatt Company any day of the week, man. You you guys are uh, have been and continue to be an inspiration to me in my work. And I honestly would not be enjoying the the fruits of my work in any way close to what it's become without your your influence on, on my life. Well, thank you. We're raving fans. So thank you also, Larry, for walking with us through this. And special thanks to all of you for joining us on Lead to Win. And join us next time when we share with you some next level strategies that will take your productivity to a whole new level. Until then, Lead to Win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by the Focused Leader One Day Intensive to focus your leadership. Find out more at lead2.win slash focused leader.